This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora, no my hari mai, and welcome in to another episode of Half Measures. This is episode 156, which means we've had 155 episodes previously to be good at it, but this time we'll be successful. Joining me as always is the guy that spends so much time in Auckland, it's like he's in a different time zone. It's Dan Whiting King. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. Got a good feeling about this one. 156, I'm sure it's going to be a, a good episode. There'll be, there'll be no mistakes, no half measures, a full measure all the way. This is the one, right? This is the one. This is the one. We've got a, a joint review. It's you know We haven't had any natural disasters for the last, what, 72 hours? It's a touch wood. <laughs> That's a record um, for us, isn't it? I've probably really jinxed it now. Yeah, we watch this space when this product goes live on Friday. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, Dan? Before we do have any natural disasters, let's jump straight in to what you've been watching this week. Let's see what's on your radar. All right, so I've got a, a couple of things for you this week. So uh, the first thing uh, I am bringing to the table is Mythic Quest Season 3. So uh, reviewed Mythic Quest Seasons 1 and 2 uh, last year, and Season 3 started dropping on Apple TV I think it was around November, but they were doing weekly drops. So um, finally caught up with all of those episodes. This is a, uh, uh, like I've really enjoyed this TV show. It's been a great kind of palate cleanser. It's um, It's got a fantastic cast. Uh, Rob McElhemy, who, you know, we've been raving about a lot on this podcast, particularly from uh, Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, and it's just that, like, you know, we've said it a million times, but Apple TV produces some really high quality content. Mm. I think uh, season three was a bit of a, a a slight sort of shift in the, the Mythic Quest storyline, where uh, previously Mythic Quest has, has kind of been about this development studio. And it's kind of got a little bit of a... Uh, I, I want to say office type vibe, but it's not a documentary. Like it's a, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a com, maybe more of like a Brooklyn Nine Nine sort of like com- comedic type vibe. Right. And there's some there's some really fun characters. Season three kind of goes in a little bit of a different direction because they end up kind of splitting the studio up, and a few of the key characters go and start their own studio, and it's kind of it's kind of pitched as a as a bit of a competition between them. So it. In some ways, it was kind of bringing fresh ideas to the table, but in a lot of ways, I think some of the the magic of the show was having all of the characters together. And when you've kind of got them competing against each other, I think it does lose a little bit of its charm. And saying that, that's that's probably really me nitpicking at this one. This is a it's just a really a really fun watch. Like if you're looking for a good a good easy watch, a good laugh. Three seasons of Mythic Quest is a is probably a pretty good place to start, and I would imagine it's probably not on a lot of people's radars. Mm. One because uh, I, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people with Apple TV. Like a lot of people when I'm just talking about streaming, one out of ten or fifteen might be sort of an Apple TV user. Yeah. So, but I think there's there's so much stuff on Apple TV these days that it's almost worth sort of. Maybe it's sort of a, a winter activity, but sort of subscribing for a couple of months and and getting involved in some of these great shows. So 
it's kind of a difficult one to talk about because it is it is kind of comedy and kind of like 30 minute episodes but there's some there's some good sort of funny uh goofs and gags running throughout this tv show fantastic cast one of my favorites is definitely um a character called joe played by uh jesse enos and she she plays the role of uh kind of a personal assistant, executive assistant, and she rules with a, an iron fist, and she's she's so funny and so hilarious. Every time she's on screen, completely steals the show. And I, I just can't speak highly enough about this one. I think it's, it's worth a watch. It's interesting what you're saying about uh, not many people having Apple TV, because it is one of those ones when I talk about with other people, that a lot of the shows that perhaps they haven't seen that I've seen are on Apple. I was having a conversation just a couple of weeks ago with two of my brother-in-laws and neither of them had um, you know, Apple, T- Apple TV Plus. So I was unable to share in the joy of a lot of my top tens from last year. But uh, I think you're right. Getting it for a couple of months is the way forward. This this show feels like it could be a potential palate cleanser type show. Would that fit the bill? I think it doesn't. Look, I don't think – this is a, as a show where I wouldn't get this show – I wouldn't get Apple TV purely for this show, yeah. but I think this is a very nice cherry on the top when you think about Ted Lasso or, mm. you know, um, or C or what, what other good shows have we watched on there? Slow Horses Severance. for our mankind. Yeah, so, yeah like, like this This is this is the, the little treat that you have at the end of the night and I think you'll have a good time watching it. Like it's, it's one of those kind of like um, – grows on your show where over time you start to really kind of fall in love with the um the cast of characters mm. and yeah i think palette cleanser is a is a good word for this one nice well i've added it to my list whilst we're talking about it another show i've added to the list from apple tv is shrinking starring harrison ford and uh jason uh, yep thank you um so that could be another little cherry on the top who knows but um yeah mythic quest i spot is already on my list and I've added it there because you told me about it some time ago with season one. So I feel like this could be something for me. Um, the cast appeals. And as you said, Rob McAhoney, uh, he wasn't on my radar at all. And now I feel like I know him quite well from Welcome to Wrexham. So mm. that's that's mm. that's the real draw card for me now. Whereas before I didn't even know who he was. Mm. No, it's a good one. The other TV show that I've been watching is a, a TV show that I watched. Like this, this is a TV show that came out in two thousand and four, and I think I watched it kind of around you know, probably two thousand and four, two thousand and five. And it's a TV show that I absolutely loved when it first came out, and I saw it on Disney Plus a little while ago, and I was like, I'd really love to rewatch it. I didn't know whether I'd be able to get it on the joint watch um, radar with the wife, but, you know, sometimes... The gods work in mysterious ways, Paul. I put I, I I can I did a business case. Let's get an episode in, see how you feel. Let the, the questions were asked, a little bit of uncertainty. Watched episode two, bam, got him, hooked in. Brilliant. So this is <clears throat> this TV show is called Rescue Me. Um it's so it's definitely an oldie, sort of uh I've only I've only rewatched season one, but we're gonna we're gonna rewatch all of it. There's there's seven seasons. Weirdly there is only six seasons on Disney Plus. Now, I need the social media manager to get onto Disney Plus about this ball. Like, I need, like, 
I've got a bit of runway. We're, we're only just starting season two, but I, I'm going to need season seven. I'm, I'm not going to be able to end this journey missing a whole season. So let me give you the, the premise of this TV show. So it's about uh, a firefighter in New York. It's set in a post 9-11 and the, the the sort of core story of the the, the core firefighter names um Tommy Gavin who's played by uh, Dennis O'Leary and he is he kind of he he lost a lot of his fellow firefighters and friends and cousins and family members um in 9/11 through rescuing people and he he kind of he sees the ghosts of these people um sort oh, of wow. in, in his life and so he's a real messed up character he he's an alcoholic he's a bit of a scumbag his his marriage is falling apart it's a real inside look into a into sort of firehouse culture but not only that Paul this is like a you know how some tv shows are like a time capsule for a period of like a sort of a period in our life mm. and if you like just going back into 2004 like the topics they're dealing with, the language they're using, that like I, I just don't even know if some of these things would even air on TV today. Like it's it's so un PC and so raw and at time kind of like cringy, but I just can't look away. And it's honestly watching this show again is so great. I'm having such a good time. It's got one of those um amazing uh soundtracks at the start of every every episode uh, a song called come on come on by the von bondies and i will never skip it because i just I, I love the intro so much and it's sort of got this montage of different fire scenes and just the soundtrack and it's just good and it, it's it's a little bit old school in the sense that it's you know sort of like there's a major sort of story running through it but it's kind of each episode's kind of dealing with like different issues of different people in the in the firehouse and different fires and tragedies and things they have to deal with but for a show that's so old and sort of one that I wasn't sure like I I loved it when it came out would I still love it I I probably love it more now than when I first watched it that is great there's nothing worse than the opposite happening where you 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 really enjoyed something the first time around you go back and revisit it and it wasn't quite what you thought i had that experience with steven spielberg's the jewel i thought it was one of the greatest movies of all time and then i rewatched it um i am amazed i 156 podcast and i reckon with the exception of classic comedies like seinfeld or even the office or, i feel like this is the oldest show and it's still only 2004 but i feel like this is the oldest show that you <laughs> TV show you've brought to the podcast that I can. When did um, when did the Shield come out? Because remember I sort of I binged oh, that yeah, show. Oh yeah, you did too. Okay. As a um, so that was a, a two thousand and two to two thousand and eight okay. show. Right. Um, and like I'm, I've kind of dabbled a bit in going back to the Sopranos as well. So there, I think there was something kind of about that era yeah. that was kind of a little bit special. I I feel like this was the not the dawn, but it was like sort of in the real early stages of actually you can have high quality TV shows. And I remember the way I found out about this TV show, Paul, I'm just going to take you on a bit of a, a time walk back, is back before the days of streaming, which I, I don't know how we existed, but one of my favorite things to do at lunchtime would be to walk down to uh, Whitcalls, which is yeah. a bookstore for those not in New Zealand. And they used to have this huge upstairs area in Wellington just full of like DVDs and TV shows. And I'll just go up there 
like probably once a week and I'll just browse all of the DVDs and the TV series and I just remember picking this up and kind of being interested in it from like I thought oh, it's a firefighter looks like kind of like good action drama there was no like pulling your phone out of your pocket and like looking at what this is going to be any good like it was kind of a bit of a I'm going to give this a go and I was I was hooked and like I I hooked into this I just brought it like I I don't know like I probably could have gone home and done some research or something on it but I was just like oh this looks good I'll give it a go and so um I've long I those DVDs are long gone from my life so I was (laughs) I was happy to find it on Disney plus it's it is an interesting uh look back because uh, I reckon 2003 to I don't know for at least a you know at least a good decade at least uh, just weekly visits to the the shops going in and just looking as you say looking at DVDs and just and then going to like the bag in bins and seeing if some of your favorites were in there or the Boxing Day sales and I mean I honestly I can't remember really the last time I seriously went looking at a yeah, purchasing something on disc or even the last time I watched something on disc, it's just, I know I can, it would have been the James Bond movies before they went on Prime. But it is, it's just, it has transitioned so much. And like you say, it was a lottery. You'd sometimes pick something up and look at it. And on the strength of the the artwork or the lead mm-hmm. star or the director, mm-hmm. you would make a decision as to whether or not you were going to pay full price, which back in those days would have been what, like sort of twenty nine ninety nine or something. I, I think like I, I feel I've got this sticker in my head of like thirty six dollars or something, yeah. and I, I like I TV show I don't know, it just, yeah TV show yeah 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 and it was always good because you you never really knew what was going to be down there and like there was always that pleasant surprise of oh my god this movie was just at the movies like eight months ago and now it's here on you know DVD and it was yeah. uh, it was I kind of miss those days like and I yeah, yeah I think yeah. that I think about this all the time like. Like when I'm thinking about like same with music, right? I'm like buying like CDs or and that's why I've kind of like I've loved kind of getting into to vinyl over the last few years. I love that like that you could you could go out and you could like have like a little twenty, thirty dollar purchase and then come home and enjoy it. And I feel like with everything that you stream these days, like nothing feels that special. Like you've just got access to all these streaming platforms, you've got access to all this music and like you just like it never feels like you're kind of like treating yourself like it's just it's the ownership factor it's the ownership factor it's like as i turn to my right here i have 47 canon star wars books and i have you know all the it's the ownership factor and that's what's changed with you know visual and audio consumption is is that ownership i i, I think there are some exceptions and i'm not sort of drawing the line across it all but it's uh there was something about buying it and i remember to extend the story further, going back probably like 2005, 2006, buying all of the Star Trek Next Generation DVD mm. box sets, all of the Deep Space Nine, all of the Void, the whole lot. And because Wickles and JB Hi-Fi and the Warehouse and, and I think came up back in those days, all the, and the, yeah, they all had competing specials or whatever. And I remember finding them at JB Hi-Fi, $150 per season. And it was like $150 a season. That's it. I'm going to take the, you know, and now when I think about the idea of doing that, it seems just unreal. But um, like you, I kind of do miss, there was something about the the trawling through it and then the coming home with it 
anyway that's a long story i think there's another angle to it as well like you know like your your mum or your grandma might be like oh what can i get you for your birthday or something like and you can be like oh give me this movie or give me this cd or something and i feel like none of that exists anymore like and so when somebody says to me like a family oh what can i get you it's like like it's nothing <laughs> like 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 everything is digital it's and it's yeah. it's kind of taken away that little um relatively affordable small gift range I actually think the last Blu-ray I bought was was Joker, and I lent that to a uh, a work colleague, and um, a couple of years ago now, still waiting to have that back. Uh, I don't know where that's wound up. I I hate that ball. Like I, that was one of the downsides I think also of owning things like. So I owned all of the box sets of Sopranos um, on DVD, and you know how some box sets we're really going off topic came in like plastic cases, but uh, all the Sopranos, like I think most of them came in a cardboard box and every now and again people would be like, oh, you've got all the Sopranos and like people would want to borrow it. And I don't mind borrowing, like like lending my stuff at Paul, but I'm real kind of, mm. I'm a bit uptight about that. Like I like to keep my things in good quality and if I give it to you, like I don't want it coming back with your cheesy, greasy fingers all over Correct. it or like uh, dog you Are you a smoker? Is it going to get, you know, is it going to come back yeah, smoking? Yeah. If you are, you're out. Anyway, this person wanted to borrow um, a season of The Sopranos, and I put them off for months, Paul, like months. I was like, oh, uh, my my cousin Joey's got it. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you know, I'd just, I'd just be, like, coming up with all these excuses, and eventually they just wore me down, and I had to bring it in. And my worst fear happened. It came back all raggedy. Yeah, and that's the price you pay. You've used the cousin Joe excuse on me before. That time I tried to take it for lunch. You're like, oh, I've got my cousin Joe in town, so now I know. Mm, um mm, mm. I had we're really extending the set now, but I have someone who to this day I think does not believe that I did not lose disc two of season three of Babylon Five from their box set. I did not lose that disc, but their memory of lending it to me and now the disc isn't there is associated. I can assure them anyway. Yeah, mm, good times. Ah. Mm. <sighs> The good old days. Anyway, so that is me this week, apart from our joint watches. So Mythic Quest Season 3, which you can find on Apple TV, and then Rescue Me Season 1, um, which is on Disney+. Plus. I'm probably going to be talking about this show for a while because I'm deeply in love with it and can't wait to watch the second season. How about you, Paul? That's great. That's great. And I apologize again for trying to make out that you just brought the oldest show ever because you have put some older things as well. I'm really tempted to see you bring something in from the 70s or 80s. We'll see. A Star Wars. <laughs> a TV series with multiple seasons. Oh, okay. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Um, I, I'm i going to lead with a show. It's an older show, but it certainly checks out. Still not checks a, out. It's, it's not as old as uh, some of the previous seasons of the show, but it's still 2014. Doctor Who, series eight. And so... It's taken me longer to get around to watching this with, with travel and, and things and, and what have you, but it's been worth the wait. And so this this is a really good season, and this is the first Peter Capaldi season. And I think I, th- I think the, the thing for me is with this this series particularly is for him to come in and follow the last two Doctors, David Tennant and Matt Smith. Both of those actors I rate, both absolute quality. The bar is always high. It's not to say the bar hasn't been high previously or subsequently. It's just that for me feels like a real two top tiers. And Matt Smith 
his doctor of course is my, is my my favorite of the new who so the challenge to satisfy me as a viewer is even higher and and i think the change of a doctor it doesn't really matter who it is for the first story or two if the previous doctor is someone that you really liked there is or at least for me there's like an instant standoffishness for the incoming doctor because you're still in mourning for the previous doctor that you've you've enjoyed for so long and you, and you emotionally you're not ready for an instant replacement um but that's what you get and so for the yeah so for the new series new doctor peter capaldi i found uh emotionally um detached um very cold not very fun not very matt smith's doctor at all and so i actually was for the first episode i was almost borderline resentment and thinking do I want to even carry on with this? And I, of course I knew I wanted to, I was just angry, but it sounds stupid admitting it out, now, out loud now, because when I get to where I'm getting to, but once I moved through the stages of grief about the 11th doctor and moved into the acceptance of the 12th, I started to really to warm and, and to fast forward to the end of where I'm going here by the end of series eight, Peter Capaldi is, he's a doctor that I, I really enjoy He's my kind of doctor. He's a really terrific actor with a great sense of humor. It's different, and I really like it. And by the end of it, it was I. I just can't wait to get into series nine. This is uh, this is good. This has been a, a long time coming for. It's, it's interesting you say about like there's probably some psychological model, right? Like as you say, of kind of like grief and acceptance, and so they're coming to terms with the with the new doctor. And looking on IMDb, like there is a few kind of like lower rated episodes, but in general, a lot of them are up in the the high sevens, if not mid eights, which is yeah, pretty good, I think for a for you know obviously. Oh look, I, I think it's a a decent first season. I think it's I think it's a decent season, and I think it's a very good first season or opening season for a Doctor, and I think that was quite pleasing. I think. I think the other thing, just to go back to him, is that he's uh, he's so much older, which was also a great change. And I did a little bit of research for once in my life. And in fact, it turns out that other than the first Doctor, William Hartnell, in 1963, Peter Capaldi is, at age 55, the oldest actor to play the Doctor. And Mm. this was after having the youngest ever doctor previously with Matt Smith, who was age 26. So, um, so that makes a really different dynamic. It takes away the romance element that had occurred with David Tennant and Matt Smith, their, their run with, with companions, which, which I don't have a problem with at all. I don't, I don't, it's just, I like it because it's a new, a new dynamic. There's a real, a real dad dynamic between him and his, his companion, uh, Clara Oswald, which is, is really different and, and funny and awkward. And I think it's always good to have something that's, so that it's not repeating the dynamics too much. And, and Clara is very good as well. She's played by, by Jenna Coleman, who I know best as, uh, as Queen Victoria in the Victoria series. And she'd already started her journey in Doctor Who with the previous Doctor. And I think, and I think despite a lot of criticism that I've heard of her character, I've enjoyed her part and her journey so far i think you know maybe maybe the bad stuff is still to come in future series i don't know but uh that that's been good and we also have a new master so one of the doctor's famous adversaries over the years was was the master who's been around since john pertwee first met the, the master in the early 70s but this is the first time that we have that character as a female character uh calling herself missy short for mistress um 
also played really, really well by Michelle Gomez. So, so yeah, this has been a really, really enjoyable watch that um, I'm almost tempted to go back now and watch the first two episodes again because I feel like a child now how I was reacting to it on screen. <laughs> um, but just quickly, if you do want to dip your toe in and maybe don't want to watch all 13 episodes of, of his first series, my, my favourite top five to dive in, and I think you're guaranteed to have fun, would be the episodes uh, Listen, Time Heist, Mummy on the Orient Express, Flatline and Dark Water. It's it's really, really uh, top-tier television. Um, my only criticism I have once I got past the, the whole change is, funny enough, I thought of it when you were talking about Rescue Me and talking about the how you never skip the credits. I don't really like the opening credits title design or the music, which is something odd to say about Doctor Who because people think the music's always the same, but the music is, is, is subtly different each time. And this time it's too tinny and it sounds cheap. And the visuals, they've tried to focus in on. So, you know, the TARDIS is the you know, time and relative dimension in space. And often the credits, the opening credits will focus in on like a space sort of theme. They've tried to go more with the time theme here with like clocks and numbers and cogs. It just it just doesn't work for me, which is a real shame because the the Doctor Who opening credits and music is something that really draws me into that universe. So, but if that's my biggest complaint, it can't be that bad, eh? Question for you, Paul: How long of a run do you normally get when you're the Doctor? Like, is it normally like you get a two season run? Is it just kind of depending on like you've had enough? Can you do more than two seasons? Like, what's the? Is there a rule around this or? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say there's a rule, and I'm really going to be sort of, um, you know, I'm not the expert here, but uh, when you look back at the, the the people that have played the Doctor, uh, I think back in the in the classic Who era, maybe there may have been a bit more say on the on the person playing the Doctor, perhaps. Whereas these days, right, it'll probably be done on on ratings and what agents negotiate and whatever. But I mean, with the exception of Christopher Eccleston, who came in and did just one season, and Paul McGann, who did one movie. Um, really, every Doctor has, you know, had at least. I'm not going to talk in terms of seasons, so I'm not quite sure how that works. But it normally has a good three or four years in the role, typically. And someone like Jodie Whittaker had a period of four to five years, I think, maybe that long, maybe at least four years. But actually, the number of episodes was much shorter because of COVID as well. So there's a number of factors that can affect that. But um, yeah, David Tennant had a real good long run. Matt Smith had a good run, slightly shorter. And I'm not sure moving forward. I haven't looked ahead too much as to how much Peter Capaldi has before it switches to Jodie Whittaker. Nice. And you might have said this already, but is this what platform are you watching this on? I No, I didn't say it. And there's a really good point to make because this is on on prime video and i the reason i i sort of thought of that again was you talking about rescue me like i started watching doctor who because i got so far behind i was on netflix and then netflix just pulled it off and pulled the plug and I, you know hence why i got so far behind so i'm really i'm really grateful to prime video for having this older content on there and um yeah i'm really looking forward to jumping straight into to season nine though series nine sorry nice oh that's uh that's good i'm glad you became one with the new doctor yeah absolutely uh really really 
really grown on me. And, uh, you know, I, and I know going forward, there's also been criticism of, of, of his run as well. So I'm interested to see what my own take is on that, having that sort of knowledge up front. Um, the other thing before we go into our joint watches, Dan, that I watched uh, is season one of Annika. Um, so this is on Neon. And funnily enough, I just mentioned Paul McGann. This stars Paul McGann uh, as a support role in this. Um, but the main star of this show is Nicola Walker, who is just an absolutely terrific actress. Uh, she plays a uh, sharp, witty, and enigmatic uh, DI Annika Strandhead. Uh, and she's heading up a new specialist marine homicide unit tasked with investigating unexplained, brutal, and seemingly unfathomable uh, murders. So uh, this is this is uh, set up in Glasgow, um, um, but it was set in Glasgow in the in the book and in the drama. When this came to TV, it all got shifted, and Annika is of Norwegian ancestry, and um, it was uh, also written to be set in Oslo. So. There was a number of different ways that they wanted to um, to run this, but overall, Dan. Before I get into too much detail, this show is really, really good. Nicola Walker is really, really good in the lead, and you know I'm a big fan of you know release dramas. And I think what drew me in was because I knew she was in the lead. I really love her in other roles, most notably Unforgotten, um, which. FYI has a new season coming out soon as well. Uh, also, Last Tango in Halifax. She she's real top draw. She's the sort of actress I put a cat above. Like you know how I talk about uh, Olivia Coleman. She's for me just a, she's just a really top notch. And what I love about her character is this uh, manner in which she breaks the fourth wall, uh, which is not something I've ever experienced in a in a cop show before. If you like. Um, I think you know. I think when I, th- I think fourth walls can be a hit and miss. I think the most obvious example of a hit for me would be Frank Underwood in House of Cards. That's the, mm-hmm. the one that always sticks out. But in terms of this, it's it's a it's a hit because she's funny, and she talks to the audience like we're her best friends. So she's very familiar and very sarcastic and very blunt. But it's also a miss because this and this is where I'm perhaps a little uncultured. But she talks about her Norwegian ancestry and she talks about all the you know all these scandinavian nordic history or myths or legends or something and it just doesn't resonate with me and it's very frequent and that was a bit of a shame but overall this this is a very decent television show where would this type of show sit in relation to some of our other kind of favorite uh european uh police shows yeah uh, that's a really interesting question and this is where i'm gonna i guess jump into my uh, criticisms because i do like to give it uh you know it is not up there with shetland it is not up there with happy valley it is not up there with line of duty it, it isn't it isn't quite there i think i think the reason for that and probably my biggest complaint of all is that the stories whilst they are really well written and I'll talk about that as well in a minute. But they were very, what's the word, for, uh, formulaic, formulaic. Right. As I said, every every single episode 
is a uh, featured a moment where the police finally catch up with the criminal and the criminal literally turns around, sees the police and then sprints away. Every story. And I appreciate that police shows can often be repetitive, but it was just too obvious and it was too blatant. And frankly, it just felt a bit lazy come the end that every time they saw mm-hmm. It's like, really? You're going to do that every time? Because these episodes, sorry, I haven't explained myself well, these episodes in each uh, of the first season, they're all independent murders. So, you know, we go through six episodes for the first season and each one is a new murder. So it's not like a line of duty, which has six episodes across one story. It's six independent stories, kind of like a like an elementary, if, if you like, or, or that sort of a show. And I don't mind the the sort of the quick... Um, you know, set the story and solve it within the one episode. That's fine, but you need to make those stories different enough. It was too criminal of the week, and it's a shame because there are some really complex, unique stories, and I think they were really hard to guess. You know who who it was or or, or how it would end, and I think that's a really good sign of of good writing. So it's really odd to me that they made so many, you know, use the same formula too many times. Um, the relationship with her daughter carries over all the stories, so that's good. So you get that continuity. Her relationship with her colleagues is is good fun to watch. But yeah, it's 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 fine. I'll be there for season two. But the long winded answer to your question is, it's 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 in the lower half of the table. It's not battling for relegation, but it's not going to be anywhere near promotion. It's it's real middle of the road. I will be there for season two. But as I said right at the top. That's because I think Nicola Walker is terrific and I'll just enjoy watching it for her. Mm-hmm. Look, it looks um, it looks interesting. It sounds like a, a bit of a twist on the, the classic um, police show that we might watch on this sort of genre. So, yeah, look, I think it sounds interesting. Yeah, the fourth wall is the interesting bit. Imagine, I don't know, take your pick of a show, uh, Line of Duty. Imagine Line of Duty and then midway through the interrogation, Hastings looks at the the audience and just says oh mother of god i hate this yeah and then you know just breaks character it's it would be bizarre and and i think that's something i really appreciated was that unique approach i kind of want that now i want hastings <laughs> looking at the camera and being like we've we've got him we've, this, he's really screwed up now like i i would love that like because it would just give you the little hint that he's going in for the kill and it would be uh i'm interested now we're sucking diesel di waiting king Shall we move across? Oh, this this show, by the way, my apologies, this show, Annika, is available to watch on Neon here in New Zealand. Awesome. Yeah, I reckon let's uh, let's do our, our joint, is this our, for, our first joint review of 2023? Yeah, for TV show it is, you're right. Yes, it is. So uh, we have watched Jack Ryan Season 3. So we have both been... Uh, Long-time Jack Ryan watchers. I'm pretty sure we've reviewed all seasons to date here on the Half Measures podcast. Season three, a little bit different, I think, from the the previous seasons. What did you think of this one? Yeah, it is definitely a little bit different. I do you know what? That's a really good question. Saying I think we've reviewed. I'm wondering if we have. I really am. I, I'm I'm damn sure we did season two. I can't remember season one. Anyway, um, our website will tell us the answer. Uh, the it is different, and I think that was one of the reasons why I this was an instant. Okay, so you've got your first star straight away because you're doing something um, 
a lot different for, for starters. And again, we're going to be talking spoilers. So, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to watch Jack Ryan, maybe use the time codes, jump ahead to move of the week. But this one, uh, they center around uh, the tensions with Russia, which that in itself isn't different enough. But with this one, we've got Jack Ryan being sort of, uh, I don't say framed, but he, he's, he's sort of accused of doing something. He's essentially on the run. And so I think having having Jack Ryan on the run and, and sort of having him being the one that's being hunted, wanted for treason, I really like that change in focus for this season. Yeah, I think um I think the big difference for me in this season is in seasons one and two, I really felt like we were more dealing with Jack Ryan, the the analyst who was occasionally having to get into the field, but it wasn't really his his real place he loved to love to be. And I feel like season three was like Jack Ryan unleashed, I'm in the field, I'm a full field agent, I've given up my job as a business analyst. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, like it was and not that it was it was bad, it was just it was almost kind of and I, I don't know about the like maybe the books kind of go more down that, that path as well, but it felt like quite a different Jack Ryan to the one that I was used to, in the sense that almost Jack Ryan is a little bit a little bit geeky, a little bit nerdy, mm. loves kind of the the big data stuff, but he almost kind of was a bit Jack Bauer for me in this season, where he's like he's just pulling off all these gung ho moves. He's like he's going real off the book. Um it's uh, and I'm not saying it in a, in a good or bad way. It was just it was just different to the first two seasons. No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's probably, you know, I'm thinking of Jack Reacher now, but in terms of look and feel, mm. it's probably important, you know, because John Krasinski is is a, is a great actor, but he's he's also he, you know he's really bulked up, which I think is convincing for someone who's going to be in the field throwing himself out of a helicopter into the ocean. Which, by the way, that scene looked real and i i'd love to find out did did they actually chuck john krasinski uh if that's how you pronounce his name into the ocean i don't know um but yeah it's um when you think back to the the jack ryans of you know alec baldwin or harrison ford and that sort of that that agent the the the, the formulaic thing here with, with jack ryan is it's always he's the agent who gets dragged out into the field somehow and proves himself despite the fact he should be behind the desk like a business analyst. And so that that kind of is the thing. But, yeah, he's completely in the field. And and what made it so different, um, I forgot about Ben Affleck, didn't I? He also did a oh, – and Chris Pine. Oh, my goodness. There's heaps of Jack Ryans, isn't there? Um, what makes it so different is that right from the outset, he's the wanted one. And it, it's, a, it's a very high-pace um, season. I thought it was a good story. I thought it was good writing. I thought it was fantastic production quality. Really, for me, uh, top of the line for this type of TV show. I feel like it's a for uh, for this type of you know political drama, homeland style. I think it's the gold standard in terms of production quality. I really do. I think it's um, there's absolutely nothing that looks out of place or looks poor. But what really actually. I didn't expect to be saying about this ser- this season or this series is how much the show makes me laugh. And that's sort of really odd thing to say, but John Kaczynski, Wendell Pierce, um, what's his name? The dude from Michael Kelly. Michael Kelly. Thank you. Um, those three, any combination of those three is, is, is hilarious. 
Um, there's one particular scene that sticks out where Jack's being chased through the city with all hell behind him, just through the, the streets, and he's uh, and Michael Kelly is waiting at the cafe. Obviously, they they had a meet, and Jack sees that he's sat down and he's eating, and as as he's running for his life, Jack shouts out, "You actually ordered!" Like you know, like we, we were meant to meet here, but I don't think we we're ever going to have lunch. And it was just really great comedy as Michael Kelly then has to get up and uh, you know, join join the run. It was uh, Wendell Pierce is a simply terrific actor and does a really good job as uh, as James Greer. I was going to say that I think the support cast in this TV show is really good. And I I was going to say the same thing, that Wendell Pierce is a real standout character. Yeah. And he plays such a, a great um, – he's obviously more – like he's a mentor to um, to Jack Ryan. And I think then, you know, obviously bringing in, you know, a, a classic actor like, um, like Michael Kelly is, again, like – they all just kind of fit naturally in this universe. I think my one thing about this TV show, and it's it's probably unfair to pick on Jack Ryan for this because this is just about every um, political uh, homeland type show is guilty of this, is where your boss is always trying to like undermine you and then there's kind of the classic like, oh, no all right, I'll do the right thing and I'll, I'll look out for you. And there's always just this, like, this, this and I, you see it all the time in, like, military and yeah. TV shows where, like, you know, like, your your colleagues, and like, whether it be, like, army or police or whatever, or just whatever military, they're always so horrible to each other. Like, there's no actual, like, you know, like, when you think about the, like, all of these things, like, are about a sense of community but they just never are in in the moment like it's like everyone's a jerk to one another no one's got any time for anyone everyone's an idiot until they prove otherwise which i guess when you're if this was real life your life is on the line i guess that's probably a safe way to treat everyone you're an idiot until you prove to me you're not because otherwise you you probably put yourself in danger but i just get i get so sick of the 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 boss who's like i'm gonna have to throw jack under the bus on this yeah, I I know what you're saying, and at the risk of using a word I can barely pronounce three times in one podcast, that in itself is formulaic. It's it 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 is a bit of a uh, a go to cliche. It is a bit of a yeah. Now that you say it, you're right. It's it's kind of always there. For some reason, it didn't seem to bother me too much. The things that bothered me. And I, this could sound borderline racist, so I'll be careful. But I find a lot of the Russian names very similar, and so at times I mm, thought cool. I thought they were talking about one character, but it was another. And so because I lost track of who that was uh, through a whole thread, I didn't know who was in league with who or who was against it. Because we're talking about Russian traitors and Russian people sort of um, turning over to the US and pretending to be. Uh, on one side but on and so i found it because this show moves at a decent pace as well if you lose a piece earlier on if you try and play animal crossing on your phone whilst you're watching it that thread will not make any sense for a few episodes and until those two characters come together and i'm like oh so he's the trader and i that should have been something i knew i was already aware of i shouldn't be figuring that out because those two characters have come into the same scene I definitely agree with you on that because I think this is a show where, like, I I actually sometimes find Jack Ryan 
a little bit overly complicated for what it needs to be. And I, I kind of wish that actually just dumb it down a bit so I could. I'm too slow for Jack Ryan. Mode a little bit. <laughs> yeah, like I like, and it's always it's not the Jack Ryan component of it. It's it is always the political story, and it makes me feel sometimes are the seasons a little bit like like could it be crunched up a little because yeah. it often feels like and I always feel this way with Jack Ryan and I I don't want to because I, I overall I do enjoy it but I'm almost like ah oh, did we did we need to have. Uh, this many episodes for the season. Like, could we have sort of cut that down yeah. by by one or two? Yeah, I think I think we could have gone with six episodes. Um, overall, I did enjoy it, but yes, I have those complaints. We've got one more season to go. So John Krasinski signed up for four seasons, and I don't think that fourth season is too far away. And so hopefully he goes out with a good story because overall, I don't think I will be coming back to rewatch this. But that's not because it's not been good. It's just simply because of what you just described there's you need a lot of headspace and energy and time and it's like i'm a one and done with it it's funny too like i feel like i'm really coming really coming in real negative today i also feel like i've kind of just like with john kaniski got him as like he's the same character for me like in a quiet place <laughs> okay. he's the same, like he could almost be like there's some components of Jim from. Like, no, I can't unsee the Jim I, factor. I I feel differently there. I I, I mean, we, we both think he's a great actor, but I think he's moved away. Yeah, you know, given that we saw him as a decade of of Jim, I now I've made that disassociation. I don't see the Jim anymore. I mean, if Jim, if, if any point Jack Ryan was to look at the camera and make that face, that would be the season. The whole series. They, they can't do the fourth wall there. It would be impossible. <laughs> it would to be do. gone. But I feel like, as I said, because he's bulked up as well and, and what have you. I feel like I've disassociated because, you know, when I go back and watch old clips of The Office, I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I yeah, it's crazy. I, I don't know. Look, I'm, I'm being a bit hard. I've got one final, and this is nothing to do with the TV show. This is uh, probably more to do with. Um, it's release date. So this obviously came out on the, the 21st of oh, December. My this is such a, a bad time to drop this Good type call. of content. Like, like it's, it's like, it's never going to make it to the half measures, um, top 10, unless you're 1883. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Uh, and I, I feel like it's just the time of the year where like, like maybe it's, it's, it's different. Um, if you're, like over here in New Zealand, like we're coming into summer, like there's like there's less TV watching. Uh, maybe in other parts of the world where it's winter, it probably makes more sense. But it it didn't really, even though it dropped on the twenty first of December, it wasn't till much afterwards. Like look, we're only just getting around to reviewing it now. Like it's it's almost March, so yeah. it's it's it kind of just falls off the radar a little bit sometimes, which I think is unfortunate. Oh, I mean, I, I, it's not for me to question what people do in the month of December, but for a large proportion of the world i think dropping episode one on 21 december is really asking for people to perhaps forget what happened by the time they get to episode two because maybe they've had a lot of things going on and i just i just question it well well in this case they they drop the whole lot at once right so right. the whole thing yeah so <laughs> which, which, which is probably yeah, this, but again, yeah, who does have time? So, and I think that's what, you know, we've talked about this before, but that's where Cobra Kai has suffered previously. Yes. I think dropping it on either Boxing Day or uh, New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, it's just, it kind of just gets a bit caught up in too many other things going on. Um, but no, look, I think this this is 
it was a good season. I, I overall in, enjoyed it. But I, I think a bit like you, I don't think this is a show that I'll be coming back to rewatch anytime no. soon. One other point of interest uh, was a bit of fun in episode eight of this series. Uh, the character Petrov uses the line, the time for half measures is over. And I mean, I, th- I just love it. Whenever I hear the words half measures and anything these days, it gets my attention. He knows what's up. He knows, he knows, you know, the, the number one podcast for what to watch on TV. Correct. Movies. Correct. On that, on that topic, Dan. So this is yeah, prime video for Jack Ryan, three seasons. Uh, it's time for us though, to move on over for this week's movie of the week, Dan. All right. So each week, Paul and I take turns uh, choosing a different movie of the week. If you'd like to find out what that movie is before we talk about it here on the podcast, then you should join our Discord channel. This week, Paul, we are going to talk about the 2022 movie, The Menu. Yeah. So the synopsis for this one, a young couple travels to a remote island to eat an exclusive uh, to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu. However, there are some shocking surprises, and I, I guess just to quickly preempt that, I will I will try and be spoiler light, Dan. But I feel like there are some things that we'll just have to dive into. So again, if you're keen to watch it, you need to use the time codes. I, look, I I generally think we need to talk about it because. If you want to watch this movie and it's of any interest to you, definitely use the time codes because I think the the core of this movie is is kind of the spoiler of it, and it will be it'll be too hard I think to to avoid it. I think this is um, this is an interesting movie. So this is on on Disney Plus on IMDb. It's got the tags horror and thriller. Mm. I would almost add the tag like dark comedy to that um to that i i don't even know whether i'd use the tag horror but this has got a uh, an amazing cast of actors um it's it's such a like this this movie is a bit of a like i sort of think is a little bit of a, a sleeper hit and the, the the overall concept is all of these people are sort of invited to this uh unique dinner um, but none of them quite know why they've they've been in, invited, or or that it's it's or it's famous, but they it's a bit mysterious how they how they got their their invites. And there's this just um, amazing sort of events play out over the course of this of an evening with the chef as he tries to present to them the the perfect meal. What's interesting, Dan, is you know you reading out the tags and all of it. I'm so lazy these days that when you send through a couple of movies as a choice for movie of the week, or I, or even if I'm selecting them myself, sometimes I will literally sometimes look at the poster, and if there is someone on the front cover that I rate highly enough, that is enough for me to say I'm going there. Or if it's a director or a writer, and so I kind of I don't even know the nature of the type of movie I'd signed up to. I just saw you know Ralph Fiennes on the poster, and I was like. Or was it Rafe Fines? I don't know. What are we saying? Can we agree on? I think we say Ray. Ray. I Rafe, think Ray's the Rafe most is, common. Rafe is how he says it. Okay. Rafe Fines. And I went on the strength of that alone. And then, you know, you've got uh, Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy as well. And, and so I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Queen's Gambit. It's, yeah. I'm going to go for it. And what about, can I ask, at what point did you realize Okay, this is gonna. This is going a little weird. Like, or did you did you know from the outset what you're getting into? 
Uh, no, no, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I keep seeing the banner for this movie in my Disney Plus as sort of a, you know, those big tile cards that they bring up. And uh, virtually similar to you, um, Ray Fiennes, amazing. Um, Voldemort, how could you not get involved? Yeah. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, Queen's Gambit, amazing. Uh, Nicholas Holt. X-Men. Um, the Beast, X-Men, like... You've got um, Paul Adelstein. Uh, you've got uh, Janet McTeer, who I absolutely loved in Ozark. Like, it's there's so many great actors, and so I was like, I've got to give this a go. And I think because I'm so hyped up on the the beer, um, which we we've reviewed here on the pod, that just anything kind of like cooking, I'm like, oh, going to get around it. And I knew, like, as this sort of started to play out, the fact that you know these these people are all kind of like jerks in a way yeah. and they have to like to go to this exclusive restaurant. They have to go out there by boat already. Like some warning signs are kind of popping up for me. Like that's not for me, Paul. Like I, I need an exit strategy. Like I don't want to be trapped um, <laughs> on an island. And I, I definitely don't want to go to a, a restaurant where I'm not picking the food. Like I like, no, there's too much. There's too many there's, things. There's too much uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. There's elements and of so, Blast in that, yeah, with the island. And then I think you know, just sort of as this movie starts to play out, and kind of the, um, is it kind of the the arrogance or the mystique of of Ray Fine's character as Chef Slowick, and just these the, these quirky conversations that are happening at these different tables of the restaurant, like it just it feel, there's an uneasiness to this whole whole movie, and there's the. Uh, the maitre d who's kind of equally kind of like terrifying oh, in her yeah, own right yeah. and it's i think that there's some real big shock moments in this film and so hopefully if you if you're still listening at this point to to the menu then i'm presuming that you've either watched this movie yourself or, or you don't care about spoilers because i'm going to jump into one and the, the first one being paul is when that guy shoots himself to outrageous yeah to to complete the 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 last step of of his uh, dish. It's an extraordinary moment. Um, that moment, and then of course for me the second moment being the finger being cut off of the one of the dining. Mm. There are some moments that, um, I mean, there's questions and criticisms that we can jump into later as we go. But I, I will say. I love the style in which this movie is filmed. I, I love the way it's presented. The big moment there that you've described falls to me into the borderline criticism moment, not because of what happened, because that what happened happened, and it's a great story moment that really, you know, people say, oh, I jumped out of my chair. It really made me physically react. So that's that's great when movies do that. But what the reason it falls into the criticism camp for me is I became I wasn't buying into the other dining people, customers. You know, I was a little bit skeptical that those people would remain as calm as they did with the with this sous chef. I mean, the fact that the sous chef is that we call sous chef, you know, had sacrificed himself. Um that in itself is something, but the calmness of them just something this is when things didn't quite add up to me and i think you adding in the dark comedy thing helps me to work my way through some of it because yeah 
I, f- I feel like people would have panicked more or they would have tried harder to to fight back or to get away and yeah so the, that was the, the the reaction to what happened but the the notion of how it was going the way that that was done I thought was for me I thought this was really unique I thought it was a really great idea I I I haven't seen something like this before, which is getting to be an expression which we use less and less these days. But yeah, incredible moment. I I, I think too, and I think you know, like if we go to that first scene of of the guy shooting himself, and a few of the guests say, "Oh, this is all staged," or and and I think it generally had that feel. And like you know, like there's no way that this is happening, or there's no way that these people would put up with this. And I think this kind of I think it kind of weirdly worked for me because I think they did quite a good job of painting the picture of how all these different tables had these different issues going on. Like you've kind of oh, got this, yeah, yeah. this arrogant, uh, arrogant kind of um, restaurant reviewer. You've got um, a guy who's obsessed with food. You've got these finance bros who who care nothing but for money. You've got a guy that's cheating on his wife. Like there's, there's all these kind of like quirky um, people that are so involved in their own kind of worlds or problems that – this could be nothing but part of the show for them. And I think um, where what you're talking about really hit me is when everyone gets escorted outside and they're kind of like, if you want to, if you want to run, like now's your chance. And that, that's when I sort of thought you guys could overpower these, these chefs if you really wanted to. And there was just virtually no attempt at coming together to do anything of the. That's right. It was working together. They would have had a chance and that's where it felt like the movie was getting a little bit silly to me. I mean, I didn't buy into that. He could have recruited that many psychopathic staff, but, mm. but Hey, I've not been part of a cult before, so I don't know. Cause that's what we were looking at in terms of, if you think about all the people associated in that, in that uh, kitchen, working with that chef, they, they were part of a cult. They were, you know, they were prepared to sacrifice themselves. They were prepared to to to, to burn and torture the the, the 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 people dining at this restaurant. So there was a number of things going on. The other thing which we haven't touched on, we really should, is is Ray Fiennes himself because he's terrifying in this movie. It's movies like this. The reason why I enjoyed this movie is it reminds me of just how great he is and and how he was, you know, he was so right to be Voldemort. There's elements of this character that actually reminded me of his role in as the Red Dragon, and it's mm. that kind of performance that I haven't seen from him in 20 years because I've got used to seeing him as as M in Bond. I've got used to seeing him mm. in the Kingsman types of movies, and actually him stretching himself, which I think this role is a real stretch, and that's not to discredit the other roles, is where an actor of, of his caliber really shines because he was terrifying. I think too another standout for me is is really Anya Taylor Joy. Like I think she played a, a a really interesting role in the sense that she was treated like like garbage by the person by Tyler, yeah. um, the person that she came to dinner with, which was Nicholas Holt. Um, and it took a while to kind of unfold. Like why is she putting up with this? Like why? Why? Like why would you stay there? Why would you be in this situation? And then when it slowly comes out it kind of starts to make more sense and i enjoyed the scenes between her and ray fines i think where it gets a little bit um loose for me is the fact that she was kind of just allowed to go because she didn't deserve to be at the final dinner like the other people like that was kind of a bit of a uh like a yeah no, I mean a bit, was, a bit looser. Yeah, it was, it was also odd that she was just sat on the boat and was just happily eating the cheeseburger. Which, by the way, 
just as a side note, looked like the most incredible cheeseburger I've ever seen. Just watching him cook it and then how it sort of squashed it together. It's mm-hmm. it reminded me of uh the Harley Quinn movie that you and I watched with the burgers. You know, it's real that that's a burger. That's a burger. But the style thing I was talking about before was another, you know, I feel like I've come in with a few crosses here, but a big tick was the style, the the menu nature, right from the very start with the opening credits, dividing the movie up into into courses, having these um really sort of close up detailed looks at the food, that sort of um that sort of approach and the text that was coming up describing each meal and then sort of like the tongue in cheek humor when it was being, when the humans were being used as part of the food, which, you know, again, spoiler, that's where some of the weirdness comes in. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's funny yeah, because watching this movie, like, so uh, me and Samara watched it and she, like she had a great time with this movie like and, and almost in that unexpected way like I almost didn't expect her to enjoy it but she she loved it and I, I've seen her recommending it to her, her family to watch like oh you've got to watch the menu it's so good and so I think there is something quite enjoyable about this movie I I, I don't think it necessarily maybe has a lot of um, instant rewatchability but I could see myself rewatching it in a you know in a, a couple of years time but I, I did have a, a relatively good time with this one. Yeah, I think there's a it's that uniqueness the which appeals the quality of the performance, this whole concept. Um and if I put aside those criticisms I've talked about as to things I couldn't wrap my head around, I think overall this this movie has a lot going for it. And it, it is the sort of thing I would I would also recommend to people that um i think might enjoy the style or the type of there's i don't want to make references to hannibal but there's something in it that feels you know what was that other movie we watched with the 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 cannibal type uh my goodness you you know the one (laughs) we watched it recently Uh, with the girl that got she went on a date. She was sick of dating. And oh yes, um, was it delicious or something? Or uh, oh, what are we doing? With I know, part? I know exactly the one you mean. <laughs> um, we'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll oh, look you, it up. You look at what I'm talking. But there, there's something about the nature of when something gets weird and it gets weird to the point where it involves food and eating, and then you know humans are being included as part of the menu offering in some way shape or form that sort of uh, genre which like you i don't know if horror is quite the right word but that it's an uncomfortable um thing it's not a natural thing it becomes a very um it gets a unique sort of placing fresh i think it was fresh, the movie. thank you that's the movie yes mm. there's, there's delicious. elements of that <laughs> That's just, I mean, it was close. It was nice. <laughs> I um, I don't know how, I, I don't feel like I would rate this highly on my Guns Akimbo rating, Dan, but I, at the same time, I'm still happy to say to people, I reckon give this a go because I, I think there's something there. Yeah, I I think it's, for me, it's probably about a, I'd probably almost give it a three guns, which is probably going to be quite high, yeah. purely for its uniqueness factor. I don't think it's a movie for everyone, and I think you've got to be, you've got to be down for the dark comedy. I think to watch this, yeah. otherwise it might be a bit much. Yeah, I would, I'd probably go two. 
And I feel like I'm being harsher because there's so much goodness here and it's worth it on the basis of the performances alone. But there we go. That is uh, the menu and that one is available to watch on Netflix. Um, Disney Plus. Yeah. Disney Plus. Honestly, Dan, feel free to fire me at any point. It's a real half measure. Oh, do you know as um as you were going to, this one's available. I was like, he's going to say the wrong network. I can I can see it. I can sense it. I, just, I can feel the disturbance <laughs> in the form. One hundred and fifty-seven. Yeah. That's going to be the podcast where we're good. That's going to be the one where yeah. we're good. Next time, next time we'll have another yeah, shot. Next. There's another time. So, Paul, pick of the week. What's the uh, what's the one for you? For me, it has to be series eight of Doctor Who. I think it's exceptional first season for a new Doctor. Peter Capaldi is growing on me. And as I say, I can't, it left me with, I can't wait to jump into series nine. And that's always the best when you just want to press play on the next episode. It is really a top tier TV show. And I'm again, so glad that it's available to watch on Prime Video. What about you? I think for me, season one of Rescue Me, I honestly, this show has become like my, you know, I can't wait to watch another episode, even though it's like, I've, it's been what, God, almost like what, like 16, 17 years since I've seen it. And I can't wait. But when I've forgotten so much of what happens and I'm excited to um, get into season two. I just had, I had such a good time with season one. That's um, great. And because I feel like it feels wrong to watch these days. Like, it feels like a guilty pleasure. And um, <laughs> But it's good. That's, that's, yeah, definitely rescue me. News desk, Dan. All right, what is on the news desk? So a couple of things this week. Uh, first of all, the Oscars um, last year, 2022 Oscars, we had the, the famous slap, which brought the internet to a standstill and is still kind of much talked about. The 2023 Oscars, Paul, are going to have a crisis team in place for any such incident that <laughs> might play out at the Oscars. So, With all due respect, this is classic America. It's so, like, I just, like, what is involved in a crisis team? You know, and like, like, is it anywhere from, like, first aid equipment to counselling to security to armed guards? Like, I, I, I'm so intrigued about what a crisis team might look like in America. So watch this space. I I feel like, have we had many incidents at the Oscars? Uh, look, I, I don't know. The, the, the seem, this seems a lot. Uh, what else have we got here? It looks like um, House of the Dragon Season 2 is going to get a 2024 release window, which we largely knew. Like We've already kind of uh, talked about this, but from a, a recent earnings call on HBO, they've talked about 2024 being the next release. Um, we are in The Mandalorian Season Paul. Uh, next week we'll be getting into Season 3 of The Mandalorian. And the great news is Season 4 has already been written for The Mandalorian, which I think is fantastic because obviously they're, they're thinking big picture, they've got a big story that they want to tell, and I love it when they've already got the next season kind of already penned out. It I think it implies good things for this season. While we're talking about The Mandalorian, I always get a little bit confused in my mind that is it season three of the mandalorian because i think i i think about the book of boba fett and all the stuff that happened with the mandalorian yeah, in there yeah. and it confuses me but we are up to season three, number three. yeah 
Ah, what else have we got here? Um, Hellboy is being rebooted for its 10 billionth time. Um, and it's going to be rebooted with a, one of the famous comics called The Crooked Man. So if you're a Hellboy fan, you can expect to see more of that in the near future. Never knew it was rebooted. Always thought that the 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 version that recently aired was the most recent, was the only one. Never knew. Who knew? Who who knew? Who knew? Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, da, da, da. Netflix has dropped its surprise me shuffle button. So I don't know if you've ever hit that button on your Netflix. Absolutely, I've not. never hit it, Paul. Not for me. Why would I want to hit that? You don't. You don't know me, Netflix. Like you, there's no way no. I'm putting my destiny in your future. They've removed the feature, which is um, great news for everyone. I think. Uh, the Last of Us on HBO, which I'm I can't wait to review here on the podcast. Agreed. Is apparently apparently outpacing House of the Dragon viewership. There is obviously some very good things happening over at HBO, um, and they they've always produced good like good quality content, which is very exciting. Two final bits from me. So Liam Neeson has recently come out, and he has a view that there is too much Star Wars content. Come on, Liam. What are you doing? Honestly. He he was also asked the question, would you star in a Qui-Gon Jinn TV show? He said, I don't do TV. Come on, Liam. We all saw you. You're in Kenobi. (laughs) We saw you in Kenobi. We saw you in Derry Girls. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely do. I I think it was all said in jest, but he he thinks the Star Wars universe is losing its mystique because there's too many stories and... Oh, that, that's probably a whole The irony, of course, Dan, that his character was the one that started talk about, talking about metachlorians and ruining, giving us too much knowledge of the Force. Indeed, indeed. Um, and then the final bit from me, so uh, John Wick 4 has just had its uh, a new trailer dropped, and it's a, a 90-second long trailer. It's very action-packed, so if you're you're into, into trailers, into those sorts of spoilers, then that is out there. And it's looking like the John Wick movie, number four, is going to be almost three hours long. So that's uh, interesting. Mm. I... I don't know. I don't know. Let's see. The movies have been good to date. Are they three hours good? Not sure. Not sure. We'll see. But that is me on the news desk, Paul. Anything from you? Uh, so the BAFTAs um, that were held earlier this week, um, a lot of winners there, but the one that stood out was All Quiet on the Rest and Front, which you and I reviewed as our movie of the week back in podcast 144, and we both appreciated it. That came out um, with um seven prizes from that ceremony so that was uh that was good as a foreign language movie um we've had the walking dead uh daryl dixon's spin-off uh reveal uh a, f- a few things a few images a few walkers um with a french accent apparently who knew uh what else have i got here uh luther the fallen son is the name of the movie that will be coming out. So we had the, the the fifth and presumably final season in 2019. Not everyone was happy with the ending, and now we've got that movie coming, The Fallen Sun. So looking forward to that. That's pretty much all the headlines I've got then. Cool. Anything in the mailbag? Very quiet this week, mostly, I think, because I was very time poor on the socials this week. So... 
There we go. But you might remember last week me uh, adamantly defending uh, a specific episode of Star Trek Voyager that was getting universally hated by uh, a lot of people back in the 90s. Well, Earl Green from uh, Roddenberry Podcast, he said he agreed with me. He thinks that it had some much underappreciated moments. So good to see I'm not the only one thinking that. And here's at Roddenberry, so he should know a thing or two. Speaking of Star Trek, I did also hear from our good friend Trisha from Time Traveling Team podcast this week, wondering if I'd be talking about uh, the first episode of Picard Season 3. And obviously I haven't, because I'm not going to go episode by episode, but I, since I'm given the opportunity to say something, I really do have to say that this season opener of Picard is one of the most special episodes of Star Trek of all time the best season opener of any Star Trek ever. Um, and I commented on on Mission Log Live this week. For me, this was the most comforting. This is for the fans. Greatest hits of Star Trek music from the Wrath of Khan, from classic movies. It had lots of things that were just poured in and it just came out. It's by far the greatest Picard episode yet. It's got the highest IMDb of all um picard episodes by some distance uh trisha liked it too she's super excited for the first season to play out uh, this final season to play it sorry so um so yeah i can't wait to talk Very about good. can't wait to talk about the first season of picard and then oh yeah so last week's peak performance of course uh we had our director's chair special for james cameron and we had neil from hamilton went with avatar the first one sarah from potterer went with Titanic, Diana, Capital Coast, went with Terminator 2. Sador, aka Michael, he gave us a 3-2-1. The Abyss, classic. Aliens, classic. And peak performance was for James Cameron's work on Battle Beyond the Stars, which of course is the movie that the character Sador appeared in. And it's how Michael first came to... came to listen to half measures on instagram when he found us using the hashtag sador what a what a great way to have someone to, to find the pod for my review of battle beyond the stars which i know you've heard of dan i can see you cracking up to yourself over there <laughs> uh, I, i'm sure sador will appreciate the, yeah. the humor oh it's it's a great movie. I'm going to force it on you one day as a, as a movie of the week uh oh and finally of course paddy also from Time Travelling Team Podcast, his three, two, one, Titanic. That's had a couple of mentions now. And I'm I feel like I haven't seen it since it came out. And I worry this is a classic and I don't even realise it's a classic. Uh second place is Terminator One or Terminator Two, depending on his mood. And his number one is Aliens. Classic Paddy here trying to get four movies into his peak performance, which is already three. Classic. That's our mailbag. It's, it's, it's a it's a step too far. I we need clarity, Penny. What is, what is it, number two? It's, you're breaking the rules and we're not surprised. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Oh, very good. Shall we jump into our peak performance for the week? Indeed. So just like Movie of the Week, we take it in turns each week to look back at the performances of someone from movie and TV world and try and pick out what we think is the best. And this week I've brought to the table, Dan, Dame Judy Dench. This is a this is a good one, Paul, and this is a an interesting one. And I, I've I've maybe I'm maybe going a little bit controversial here with my Ooh. with my choices, but but we'll see we'll see. 
I'm actually going to, and I'm going to reveal them both at once because they're both kind of for the same thing. So I'm going to give her my honourable mention for, um, oh sorry, 1995's GoldenEye for her appearance as M. And then I'm also going to give it for my peak performance for her 2012 um, performance as M in Skyfall. And I think that this is the, like, I can't help but think, when I think, I think M, it's Judy Dench. Yep. Like, she's perfect. She's she's perfect for this role. I love everything about Judy Dench. She's such a, like, <clears throat> she's just got a certain sort of, like, charm to her and I think there's this great she she brings almost kind of a caring element to the role of M which you know can sometimes be a bit of a a cold a cold role or it can sort of be like a front but and she always I I don't know this I'm not quite sure how to I, there's there's something she does with James Bond where she is both frustrated and annoyed at him but but loves him like a son mm. and I think you Obviously, we've got different James Bonds between Goldeneye and Skyfall, but I think Skyfall is where Judy Dench's M peaks in a, a true peak performance for me. Um, she has a a sad but great uh, ending in that movie, and I, I just think she's fantastic. And not to mention, she's got such a huge, wide back catalog of um, of movies, but I, I couldn't go past them. How about yourself? Really, really. Um really interesting way of doing that Dan I, I quite like that um funny enough when I think of him I do still think of Bernard Lee I was just doing a quick count he was across 11 bonds Judy Dench she was across eight so um so yeah my uh, my honorable mention I'm going with 1998's Shakespeare in Love which for me is principally just it was such a visual such an iconic look as Queen Elizabeth I. I thought she, I thought she stole the show in that movie. Even though, you know, the movie was about um, Joseph Fiennes as, as Shakespeare and his relationship with um, with uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow's character, and and but she was so so strong in that role and so commanding. She's like she's my main memory of that movie, and I just really really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm not even sure I've seen a better. Queen Elizabeth the first performance from anyone to be honest. So yeah, so that got my my honourable mention. My peak performance then is the same as yours for the second week running, 2012 Skyfall in the role of M, which I can't even believe just saying 2012. I can't believe that movie is over a decade old. And I think for a lot of the reasons you sort of talked about, um, you know, I think about her as M and it is the character that gets my peak performance. But yeah, like you, it is that movie. She's, you know, her she's so central she's out in the field and of course the ending it's all so memorable and i know we see her again inspector in that sort of that video you know that video footage cameo that she makes this is her final bond and and it's interesting hearing you talk about the golden eye because you know we we saw her opposite pierce bros and we saw her opposite daniel craig but it is it is that daniel craig relationship that i think where her best performances have come out and that that critical mother that sort of the tone is just i mean they'll i mean we've we've talked a lot today about ray fines you know as the new m as well but league of her own i think so yeah 
Yeah, and I think, you know, like, there's always been, and like we've talked about this with the James Bond movies, like there's always been a, a comedic element to them, but I think the, the more raw, serious side of the Daniel Craig Bond has brought about a, a like, it brings out a different type of him, and I think it's incredible performance. 100%. Well, Paul, I guess that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. There's been some good chats this week, some big mistakes from me, and I look forward to correcting them in 157. But thanks for listening to 156. And do get in touch and let us know who your peak performance would be for the for Dame Judy Dench, or if you've got anything else to feedback on us. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Diana Kanawa, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer off the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.